When I get high, I get high on speed. Tough fuel funny car's a drug for me. My heart, my heart, kickstart my heart. I always got the cops coming after me. Custom built bike doing 103. My heart, my heart, kickstart my heart. Get a little emotional actually. <laughs> Whoa. Wow, that hits home. <laughs> Welcome to the Idea Attic Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Herger. Please share. Please share this bitch. I want you to just do this right now. Just put the podcast down. Pick up your phone and call a friend. Call someone you haven't talked to maybe since high school, junior high. God, even elementary school if you have their number. That's what Facebook was invented for. Reach out to someone and say, hey, have you ever heard of Zach Herger? The Zach Herger Idea Attic Podcast? It kicks ass. It kicks ass. Share it. Don't hide it away. You got to have an overflow mentality. It's not like, you know, I'm putting out so many ideas. And like we talked about last week, not all of them are original. That's okay. I'm putting out so many good ideas. You don't have to, you don't have to hoard the ideas. Share the ideas. You know, it's not a winner-take-all economy. Anyway, again, once again, Motley Crue, uh, fantastic band. Now, <clears throat> I've always heard that you shouldn't wear the T-shirt of like a band you like or like a musician you like because that's childish and stupid and only people under 21 should be wearing shirts with things like that on them. But I think that it's really good. So I have, I've had... And I do have several Iron Maiden t-shirts because I love the Maiden. I also have a Beatles shirt, which I don't really like the Beatles. I just like the shirt. Um, I don't want to get into that. I also have a Pink Floyd shirt. And every time I wear any of those shirts, people always stop and like want to talk about the band. So it's like a great way to like riff with strangers. And so I like have a brand new guy that's like doing drywall for me. And I had like a Motley Crue t-shirt and he's like, man, Motley Crue is the, or no, sorry. I had an Iron Maiden t-shirt on. He's like, man, Iron Maiden is the first concert I ever went to. And the shirt I was wearing was the 82, 83 world tour. And I was like, well, was it the 82, 83 world tour? He's like, no, it was 85. But, and I was like, well, how was it? And he went on about that, talked about a bunch of other bands he's really into. So that was good. You know, we have some things in common. Maybe he won't gouge me on price for doing the drywall. So I'm going to be just be wearing lots, like lots of band t-shirts. Cause if like you're wearing a Motley Crue or Iron Maiden or something like that t-shirt and people come up to you and they want to talk to you, you know, they're, they're cool, you know? So anyway, so I'm, like I said last week, I'm really into Pluto TV. I should see if they want to like sponsor my show because I love talking about it. I don't know what it is. It's just like so weird. So last night I've been watching, there's a bunch of on-demand movies and they're all really bizarre. And they have a section of on-demand movies that are just cult classics. So last night I watched a movie called Beyond Reanimator. And the genre is horror comedy. So a mad scientist is like, I guess it's a sequel. So it's a mad scientist. He brings people back from the dead. But when they come back, they're like rabid. 
And it's one of those movies that starts out sort of serious and then gets completely ridiculous and silly. And the other thing that's really funny is, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the show A Thousand Ways to Die. It used to be on Spike TV. And it's like, the actors are obviously amateurs. And that's what this show, this that's what this movie's like. And then the other thing that's similar, this movie's similar to A Thousand Ways to Die is, all the women in it, they might, they're like, the women are like over-sexualized. So in this movie, this guy is like a doctor at a prison and his like nurse there is a woman and she's like wearing like a lab coat but no bra. So it's just ridiculous. Stuff like that. And, you know, there's there's nudity all over the place. Overly sexualized. But it's a lot of fun. You know, it's so stupid. You don't have to think. You just sit back and you enjoy. So I watched that. And then I watched another movie that I guess was like a really big cult classic in the 80s. It's called The Heathers. And it's starring Christian Slater and Winona Ryder, they're in high school in the movie. And they're pretty, they're both like really young. And I think it's like before she was in Beetlejuice. So she is like probably a teenager. But in the movie, like Christian Slater is like this new kid at school and he like tricks her to like kill all of her friends and like kill some other people in high school. And really, I really bizarre. And like really dark. Like I, I guess it's like the genre of this one, it says like dark comedy. It's horrible. Like what? Anyway, really fun. As some of you may know, I won a Traeger pellet grill a couple weeks ago in a drawing from a local roofing company. And um, I think it was rigged because then a guy like knew I remodeled houses. So he's probably like, well, if anyone's going to give me any business, it's this guy, which he's right. And I guess like uh, he, his company is here and in the Lake of the Ozarks. So you know, he probably saw that I like kind of go back and forth there too. So smart cookie. So if you don't know what a Traeger pellet grill is, it's basically like a smoker and you like set the temperature on like a dial and you like set it and forget it. It's supposed to be idiot proof. Well, tonight I proved that it's not idiot proof because I created like gigantic out of control fire inside of it. <laughs> so it was ridiculous. So I guess what happened is I like I ran out of pellets like while it was heating up. So I was like, oh shit. So I like loaded these pellets in there and th- these pellets are just like little like chunks of wood. So it like had kind of like ran out. So the, the heat was going down. So I, I put a bunch more in there and then I turned it up. Big mistake. So then it like overloaded the like burner with tons of pellets and it was smoking like crazy. It was smoking like a house fire. And then I opened the lid and it's just like flame shooting out of my face. So that was really pathetic and sad. But I thought that was funny because it's like idiot proof. And I, anyway, so um, kind of more in my wheelhouse, I found an, I found a house that I'm really interested in. So it's a really bizarre house. It's in a really popular area um, of Omaha in a really popular school district in a neighborhood, a, real, a pretty small neighborhood surrounding um, a private like country club golf course. And I know the guy who owns it. He's an agent. And he's asking $375,000. But this house could be worth nine hundred. dollars it has a four-car garage. It's a mid-century modern house, and it has a gigantic addition on the back. And if everything was finished, like the parts of the basement are unfinished, 
Well, it's all torn apart. I'll get to that in a minute. So it's on the main level, it's 3,400 square feet. So if you finished everything in the basement that you could finish, besides obviously you can't count the garage areas, it'd be like 5,500 square feet. And it's on a half half acre lot. And it's a mid-century modern, which people are like crazy for. Um, they bring tons, like really high dollar here in, in Omaha because there's not very many of them. Um, and the other good thing is, even though it's a mid-century modern, it doesn't have a flat roof or anything crazy like that. But the problem is, and like I said, I know the guy who owns it. He's an idiot. And he thinks he like knows what he's doing, but he really doesn't know what he's doing. So I went and I, I took a look at it. He... Parts of the house are like down to studs. A bunch of like the drywall is off the ceiling, which makes me think that there's a roof leak. And then he, there's no plumbing left. There's no plumbing left all the way like out of the house. So he got rid of all the plumbing inside, all the waste lines and all the water supply lines. And he dug up the basement. The basement has like two foot deep trenches in it where he took out the old waste lines. He's not a plumber. I don't even know if he has a contractor's license. I don't know what the hell he's thinking. And it was, it was four hundred thousand, and he didn't rip anything out. But then he ripped everything out, and then he just dropped the price twenty five grand for all that. No, dude, like it's not even inhabitable now. So like one room, I went in, and it was below two bathrooms, and he has taken the entire floor out. Oh, the concrete floor is totally gone. Dug all the way down to where the waistlines were at, and then he like has the waistlines cut off to like the outside of the house. Hope it doesn't rain too much and the waistlines back up everything in the house because there's no traps on them. And then like the next room, there's water on the floor, but there's no pipes. So where'd the water come from? And then the other thing, the layout is so bizarre. The layouts, I should like take a video and like put it on my Facebook page. It's so weird. So I can barely describe it, but like one room, like I went all the way to the one end of the house and then there's a bedroom and then you go down like four stairs and there's another bedroom. So I went down to this bedroom and then like in the closet, there's a door and you go down like three more stairs and you're in the basement. Uh, it, it's like, it's like a fun house. It's really weird. So like I said, it's 375, but it could literally be worth you might even be able. You might even be able to sell it for a million, because there's a million dollar houses around there, and this it could be really cool. But you'd have to put like two hundred thousand dollars into it, which I could raise the money for, I think, and I could do it. But right now, I'm having a major problem with capacity for like my, my remodeling. Not only remodeling like full remodels, like flips, but also just like remodeling people's bathrooms because. There's so much activity right now. I have more work opportunities, more people that want stuff done that I know what to do with, but I don't have like enough talented people to fill those roles. I don't have enough subs to do stuff. And there's certain things that you can't like have that I can't like. I mean, I could do some things, but it would like take me too long. I can't like hire someone who like doesn't really know because they have to be done totally correctly. So one thing is like... um well, just everything. Like, it takes forever to, like, find anyone who will, like, return your phone calls or anything. Anyway, so it's just, like, boggles my mind because you get all these young people, young men especially, and they continue to go to college and university. 
and they're just getting brainwashed by all this Marxist bullshit. And then they get out and they're like me. They didn't know any better. And they get like jobs for 36 grand a year. And they're like, this is bullshit. Dude, my tile guy makes 800, can make $800 a day just putting up a regular shower. $800. And I pay him in like a personal check. So $800 a day cash. That's $192,000 a year. Now, are you obviously going are you going to be able to like $800 every single day? Probably not. But you he could easily make 150 grand a year, no problem because I mean, I just like I call him all the time and say like, "Can you do this? Can you do this?" I'm only like one person. He knows tons of other people. He made $11,000 on a job last year on the supplies only, on just the markup of the tile. $11,000. That's unbelievable. And the guy that he worked for at the time, a contractor, um, I think made on that job, I think he made $34,000. And he didn't do anything. He just fronted the money for the stuff and he supplied the labor. So speaking of tile, my plumber just told me about this, which I thought it was a cool story, but then it like pissed me off because I was like, well, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you pick the phone up? Because he was like, I was thinking about you. This is a this is a deal to like just tear your face off. Amazing deal. So my plumber's wife works at like a company that like also does auction, <clears throat> auctions. And there was a in-person auction. I think that that I think that like an electrical company was like moving or they were out of business or something like that, or the guy was retiring. And at this auction, there was five pallets of tile, and one whole pallet was um, a really like the most common kind of tile, which is like subway tile, which is what you see like mostly on TV on backsplashes and stuff. But people do them. We do them a lot for like uh, showers and things. It's like the most common tile. And it's about 50 cents per, or no, it's about 23 cents per tile. And that was one of these pallets. And there was four other ones. And he said the other ones were all like kind of mismatched, but big amounts. So five pallets. And he was like, guess how much that this guy that won the bid, how much he paid? And I was like, I don't know, like $900, a thousand bucks. And he's like, no, $12.50, $12.50. I was like, $12.50? Oh my God, that is a steal. That's like basically free. You know how much money you can make just selling the like, the subway tiles? You could tile with a whole pallet. I don't even know how much that is. That's probably like 200 showers or not that much. That's probably 50 showers worth of tile. It just boggles the mind. It's very irritating. I was like, well, next time you see something that good, why don't you just call me and you can bid on my behalf and I'll just pay you. I'll just, I would have given you 20 bucks if you would have done that. Jackass. So anyway, back to the jobs of people, back to these jobs that no one wants to do. So people don't want to get into like this kind of stuff, like tiling especially, because it's hard work, which tiling is hard work. It's super heavy. It's hot. It's dirty. So people are like, well, I don't want to do that. It's like hard work. Well, it's like, yeah, it's hard work at the beginning. It's hard work until you have people under you. And my towel guy finally has a helper, which it's, I'm like getting to that point too, where for like carpentry, it's like, I want like people to do this. You know, I'm at the point where like I can teach someone to do it and I can make more money, but it's like, 
in the beginning, you do it all yourself. And let's just take tile, for example. What if you like had five tile people working under, under you that you just pay a salary to and then you just make money off of them and they do the stuff? So you have to like think long term, you know, and at the beginning it does suck, but you're going to be able to like grow it over time. I think all of us have a hard time thinking long-term, but the most successful people always think long-term. And my tile guy used to work for a company, and the guy, I think, had like 12 tile people. And then I think he had some like carpet layers and stuff like that. The guy was making like money hand over fist. And I think he um, eventually retired or like sold the business or something like that. But it's like, if you had 12 tile people, you could be printing money right now. But like I said, the most successful people think long-term, not just like the most successful people who own like tiling business. I'm talking about the most successful people, period. So, you know, I always like to go back to history and I'm going to do it again. So I talked about Cornelius Vanderbilt, I think episode two or three, and he thought long-term all the time. And he would literally undercut his competition and lose money for years on end because he knew as soon as I like drive these other people out of business, I can like charge whatever I want to because I'll have an, a monopoly. So he would drive his competitors out of business by charging basically like like nothing almost. And then once they were gone, he would jack the prices way up. And then he would get everything that he lost plus more in return because no one was able to to weather the storm that he would put you through. So that's thinking long term. That's thinking with the end in mind. And for a more modern example, just look at Jeff Bezos. He thought long-term. He started Amazon, I think, in 1996 or 1997, and he just started, like, doing books. He figured the book thing out, and then he was doing every, then he was doing other things, books, other stuff, and now he's doing everything. Like, you can almost get anything through Amazon. So he's selling all these things, and now he's, like, taking over all of the logistics of it and all of the supply chain of it. So he used to contract out with like FedEx, things like that. Now it's just, it is Amazon. It is Amazon Logistics. They've taken control of everything. And you know my feelings about Amazon. I don't like Amazon, but we can still, we can still look at that and gain some, glean some knowledge off it. Sorry. So today I have two business ideas. It's a twofer. It's a two, two business idea day. And like I said, you know, I don't have a ton of original stuff, but I want to talk about two ideas that I've always thought were good. One of them I've thought about for a long time, but I don't have the patience for it. And I don't, I like dogs, but I don't like them that much. And that's a dog daycare. And you'd have to really like dogs, right? Because you're going to be around dogs. You can't just... You can't just hire everything out. You're going to have to be there to make sure that things are running smoothly, at least for a while, at least so you can get a general manager in there. But a dog daycare. So where my dog goes, it's $15 for a half day. A half day is like four or five hours. And I think it's 25 bucks for a full day. And that's for small dogs. So my dog is like, I think, about 20 pounds. So let's just say you're doing small dogs, like the dog daycare we go to. If you have 20 dogs and 10 of those are doing half days, so $15, and 10 are doing full days, that's $150 for the dogs doing half days, $250 for the dogs doing full days. That's $400. 
And for those of you who are not familiar where the dog daycare is, it's what it sounds like it is. So you drop your dog off there and then they put him in a gigantic, basically like a gigantic like hockey rink without the eyes. And they just play with other dogs. And a, at most places they like are inside and then there's like a little do, like a doggy door or like a doorway they can go in and out. And they just run around. So you're not providing anything but space. And and someone is watching them to make sure they don't get hurt or whatever. So it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. So that's where I go. I that's the prices where I go to now. And those are prices for you have to like pre-buy those to get those prices. So if $15 a day, that's like pre-bought. And I think that like that's me buying 10 half days. But if you don't pre-buy them, I don't I think that it's like 19 bucks for a half day and like 33 for a full day. So if you're not pre-buying, it's way more. And that's the place we go to now. Now the old place we used to go to is pretty close to an Air Force base. So there's lots of and they also do boarding there. So um and then there was also like lots of like young people there too that were like uh dropping their dog off for day, dog daycare for 12 hours while they were like working at the base. And our old place would average between 25 and 40 dogs per day um, at the dog daycare. And they, we like, we, well, we moved is one of the reasons we don't go there because it's too far of a drive. We really liked it there. It was really nice. But they kept raising the rates. So they rose, they raised their rates four times in the 18 months we were taking our dog there. And then now they're literally just turning people away. Like, I don't even think you can drop your dog off there for daycare anymore. You have to like already be, you have to like already be on the list. Um, so it, I mean, it's just crazy. And I was talking to the lady that owned it, and she's like, you know, I like started this off. I thought it would be like a like a pretty like fun, relaxing like little business. And she's like, within three months, my husband was quitting his full time job, and my daughter was working for me full time because it was like blew up. So the demand is like unbelievably, the demand is unbelievably high. And not only doing like dog daycare, a lot of these places do lots of other services too. So they'll do boarding. Almost all the places do like overnight boarding. And the rates for overnight boarding are from mild to wild. Like, so I've seen like, I think the smallest one, if you have a really little dog, I think you can get away with like 20 bucks per night, but they go all the way up to like a hundred dollars per night. There's a place here in town where they can, like, you can get your dog like a, like a VIP, like kennel for overnight and i think it's like a 100 bucks a night and then there's like cameras in there so you can like check in on your dog you can like talk to your dog in there so it's totally insane i think to board our dog is about 25 dollars per night and he's literal he's very small he doesn't like need a big area all pretty much all these places also do grooming and even for our dog which like i like i've said is very small it's 50 or 60 bucks per time that's easy, you know, 50 or 60 bucks per time. And then the other thing that they all do, well, not all of them do this, but the smart ones do. And this is what I would do. So I would definitely have the dog daycare where you can drop your dog off. That's a no brainer. I would do boarding too, because that's easy. You just have somebody like there overnight. You can have one person like making sure no dog is like biting its foot off or like hurting itself. And then they almost all have groomers and I would have groomers. And I think a lot of the groomers are like independent contractors who just like have the space there. 
And then they just pay like a little fee to like rent the space or like have some kind of like split with the owner of the dog daycare. So then they're not really your employee. Um, you just have like an arrangement with them. So that's what I would do. That's smart. And then what I would do is I would definitely sell products because let's say you're taking your dog to the dog daycare every single day. So you get off work, you got to drive to the dog daycare. A lot of times, like if it's a high, the place we used to go to, like there was always a line. So it's like, by the time you go there, by the time you stand in line, by the time you get the dog, it's like, okay, the dog's out of dog food. I don't want to drive to the dog food place. So if they offered the dog food there for sale, I would just buy it there. So I would definitely sell products. I would sell food. I would sell toys. I would sell leashes, all of that stuff. I would also like sell dog outfits because people are like really into like, oh, it's like Halloween. Let's like dress our dog up as a pumpkin. Throw that stuff in like right by the cash register. Th those are easy sales to make. And literally like the money-making avenues for a dog daycare is never ending. So you could like partner with a vet. Um, you could like have everyone who dog takes their dog there sign up for a newsletter or like an e-newsletter where you're like, hey, we're running a special like on this kind of treat, on these kind of treats where we can get you like a really good price. Let us know, blah, blah. You can buy stuff through our website. <clears throat> so I think a dog daycare is really a really good idea for the right person. I wouldn't want to do it because I like dogs. I don't like them that much. But also some of the positives, obviously one of the positives is there's several avenues to make money. There's demand. Um, the other thing is it's pretty low overhead. So you're just renting basically like a bay, a bay, uh, a commercial bay. Um, usually like two, you're running like two or three probably. The build out is really easy because you're just basically putting putting up like fencing to keep the dogs in their little areas. So the build out isn't going to be super expensive. Um, and then like the people you're hiring, you're like just hiring kids basically. Like so most of the places we go to, it's like a high school kid or like a college kid or like somebody who's like uh, semi-retired. Um, so it's super simple as far as watching the dogs, checking the dogs in and out and like collecting money. That's super simple too. <clears throat> the only downside is like, you'd have to be there at least at the beginning. And you would have to like deal with a lot of people and people like love their dogs. And they're so like crazy about their dogs that like, you'd have to, you know, like keep a report card for the dog, like make sure like the dog is never like yelled at too much, you know, like everything like that. So like a pretty much now, like a dog is like a uh, replacement for a child um, for a lot of people. So you have to like, think about it like that. Like you're running a daycare, not just a dog place, you know? And that would wear me out a little bit because people are so like bizarre about their animals. So I think that's a really good idea for the right person. It could be really good. Um, or for like the right person who like had good management skills. So if you could get like a manager in there to like handle the day to day for you, I think you could scale it. I think you get multiple locations. There's actually a guy, I don't know him personally, but he was like a big time real estate agent here in Omaha. Um, and he stopped selling real estate and he like opened some like dog, a couple dog daycares and a dog grooming place. And he was like a big realtor. I think he owned like, I think he owned a brokerage or he owned a, a big a big share of a large brokerage here. So it was like a big deal. And he was like, yeah, I like started doing this like dog stuff. And he's like, I make like three times as much money with my dog businesses that I ever did in real estate. So that's like pretty, 
that's like crazy. And like his dog business isn't like head and shoulders better or bigger than anyone else's. I mean, it's like middle of the pack. So there's obviously money in dog stuff, which I believe, I firmly believe that. I believe there's money in any kind of like animal stuff. Um, I think that uh, that show, what was that disgusting, horribly disgusting show that I hated? The Lion Show or Tiger, the Tiger King. You know, they were talking about that and, and they asked the guy like, well, how much could you get for a tiger cub? And he's like, well, you could get like 3000 No, I think you could get like ten dollars or $20,000 for a tiger cub. Because think about it. How, how are you going to get a tiger? There's only so many people on the, in the United States that can get you a tiger. So $3,000? No, dude. Expensive dogs cost $3,000. A tiger is going to cost ten or twenty or twenty five grand. I guarantee it. I'm not going to do the research because I don't care that much, but you can look it up. Let me know. So idea number two, this is, an, this is an idea that I have actually thought about very seriously because it would benefit me in multiple ways. I got this idea from uh, actually another drywall guy that I've done business with. His family has been in the drywall game and in the metro area for a long time. And what it is is it's storage facilities for contractors only. So when I say storage facilities for contractors only, I'm talking about like big storage units where you can pull in a trailer or a truck um, where it would have like power hookup, it would have lights inside. So it would be more than a regular storage unit and it would be tailored just for contractors. So the ones that I've looked at that I have wanted to rent or have I rented in the past is like something with a large overhead door, like 12 feet tall. So you could like pull a semi into it. And they're usually minimum 12 feet wide by 30 feet deep. So if it's 12 feet wide, the door is 10 feet wide. So then you can be able to get like anything you want in there. So like eh, you'd be able to get like a dually pickup truck, a semi, eh, any size trailer without a problem, without it hitting on the sides. And those usually cost now, I think they cost between three and $450 per month, something like that. And that would have maybe like one power hookup. Now, there are bigger units that are 20. You can, I think you can get them like 20 by 40, 20 by 60, so like really big, and those are obviously more expensive. And obviously, like the location dictates the price. We'll get to that in a minute. You can also find these where they have heat, air conditioning, a bathroom, multiple power hookups, lights on the inside, automatic doors, and those are usually... <clears throat> They can be between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars per month for those. <clears throat> now, the main thing with this idea is you'd want the whole building, you'd want all of it to be big units. You wouldn't want any small units. And the reason for that is you're gonna have long-term tenants that don't want to like deal with somebody who's like moving in and moving out, because then they're gonna be like it's gonna inconvenience them. They're gonna be like going to the storage unit to get their equipment and then take the equipment to a job site. They don't want to be like fighting with people <clears throat> who were like moving in or moving out. So I used to store my stuff at a place um, in my hometown when I had a, uh, my trash out business. I had mowers and stuff and all kinds of different equipment. And I was lucky enough to find a storage unit <clears throat> that was 12 by, I think it was 12 by 38. And I could pull um, my, I could back my entire like trailer full of stuff right into my storage unit, but it was difficult. So 
it was really difficult. Like I had to back around the end of one building and then back at an angle into my storage unit. So if there was like anyone in there in any of those, if, if there's anyone like around in any of those units with their car in the way, I would have to just sit and wait until they were done until I could get my stuff. Or I'd have to sit and wait at the end of the day until they were done. And then I would pull my, my stuff in, or I would take my stuff home and then come back at like nine o'clock at night to pull my stuff in. So in order for this to work, in order for this, for you to get long-term tenants and not get a bunch of complaints and not have to deal with a bunch of bullshit is the units are going to have to be big. And then like the parking lot where people can maneuver their vehicles, maneuver their um, equipment, you know, because people are going to have skid loaders in there, all kinds of different businesses. So you don't want, want to make sure there's plenty of like space for people to like move around. So you're going to be running less units, but they're going to be more expensive. And the benefit of this is let's say, well, like for me, I keep all my stuff like in my garage or on a job site right now because I can't find any storage facility that's big enough for all of my stuff and is close enough to where I live. So there's a couple right now, but they're literally like a 40 minute drive away for me. That doesn't work for me. I'm not going to drive 40 minutes every day to like go grab like a table saw or go grab stuff for like my drywall or my towel guy 40 minutes away. That doesn't make any sense, especially if I'm going to be paying three or $400 a month. I want it to be convenient. So in order for this idea to like really work, you got to get the right piece of land to build on. And it's got to be the big enough. You got to be able to get enough money out of it. And I, I would say like, don't overbuild. So don't make them too big. And I wouldn't even start off with like doing heat or air conditioning or like plumbing in the units. Now, if I had somebody who want, who came to me and said like, I need these things and I can negotiate like a high enough price and a long enough term, right, for them to be renting it where they have a lease, then I would say like, well, yeah, for like an extra X amount per month, like I'll put a bathroom in or something like that. You could work it out or have a place um, there where they could like use a bathroom, maybe not in their unit. So I think that there's a lot of different things you can do with that. I think if you just went out and you built um, a storage facility with just like 12 by 30 and 12 by 40 um, units, I think you could easily rent those for four to $600 per month. And I don't even think you'd have to mess around with electricity or bathrooms or anything like that. Now the cons is it's going to be hard to find the land. Um, you don't have to pay like a pretty penny for the land. But think about it too. Like let's say, let's say you you find a good piece of land and it's like really expensive. Well, it's really expensive because that part of town is going to be like growing, and that part of town is going to be popular. So if you put storage units on there, you could always put your storage units on there, wait ten or fifteen years, and then sell the storage units or scrape it and just sell the land for like a, a new development or something like that. So you have to think like you're getting paid the rents on that. And then hopefully the land that you're building on is going to be improved or is going to be um, getting more expensive like over time too. And I think that like with this one location is everyone like I heard, like I heard, or like I said, the another problem with this is it's going to be hard when you're building these, it's going to be hard to resist the allure of building small units. Cause you're like, well, I'm getting five or $600 a unit, but if I divided this unit up into four, I could have like four different like small units, but I want you to, th I want you to remember that the people who are going to be renting this 
they're going to pay their rent on time all the time. You're going to have low occupancy because there isn't very many units like this. And the people that are going to be renting, like I said, they're going to be paying on time and they're going to be like renting that for years and years and years. You know, I knew other people where I rented my, my large unit that had like rented their units for like 10 or 15 years. So they're going to be long-term. And like I said, they're always going to pay because their livelihood depends on the stuff in their unit. So when I was doing like my trash out stuff, like I made my money with my trailers. I made my money with my equipment. I would literally get evicted for where I was living before I would stop paying my payment on my uh, storage unit. So those are the big pluses. You're not going to have very many much turnover at all. With a regular storage place, I used to work at, a like I said, a U-Haul. And we had storage, and the storage was a pain in the ass because no one ever paid their bill. There's a bunch of losers. A bunch of people getting evicted, people that lived in apartments that didn't have any money, putting their shit into storage. And then what would happen is, like, we'd have, like, 80% occupancy, but, like, 15 to 20% of those people weren't even paying. So I'm telling you, it would pay off to get good tenants. Once you had that thing filled, it would just be auto auto drafting out of their accounts. And once it was filled and there was no uh, vacancies, which would be really fast, you would just have like a, a key code for them to get in the gate. No one would even have to be there. The other great thing about this is you can just get like, you could just build these like pole barn construction and you can b build like a giant, pretty big building and the materials cost like 12 or 15 grand. Now, obviously, like having it put up is going to cost you a lot more, but it's not like we're like building a skyscraper here and we're not building like a huge indoor heated and cooled storage unit. We're just, this is like bare bones. So keep that in mind. So I think that the, after you bought the land, building the stuff really wouldn't be that expensive. So like I said, that's something that I've actually looked into. I still might do it in the future because it's so simple. And Anyway, so I really like that. I think those are two like pretty good ones. They're kind of related. Storing your dog, storing your stuff, whatever. <clears throat> Speaking of things that I've looked into, um, the business for sale of the day, I actually looked into a couple months ago. Not, I didn't look deep into it, but I thought about it because I like it. I like this kind of business, and I, I really like this part of the country. And it would get me to where I like to be, where I have a little more freedom, and that's Missouri. So this business for sale is a roofing business in southern Missouri. Even better, southern Missouri. Beautiful down there. Down there in the Ozarks. You know, if the world goes to shit, I can be back in the sticks. No one would bother me if I need to eat. Put a rifle out the window. Blast a critter. So, <clears throat> and this thing makes pretty good money. So the asking price for this roofing company is $750,000. Um, it cash flows $599,559. So the asking price is not really that much more than it makes in one year. And that is off a gross revenue of $4.2 million. It was established since 2010. So it's been going for 10 years. I like roofing businesses. <clears throat> I think they're really good. Well, you, if you don't know, a roofing business, if I own a roofing business, <clears throat> I'm not really a roofer. I'm a salesperson. So I'm, 
all you're doing is selling, you're doing bids, you're cutting deals with people, you're negotiating with the insurance company, you're lining up your crews. And when I say your crews, I'm talking about your subcontractors. You're not going to like employ anyone. So you might say, well, this roofing job is uh, $7,000 and might, that's how much it's going to cost the insurance company. Um, you're going to say, hey, to the, to the customer, you're going to say, um, I will pay your deductible for you to get the job. That's pretty much what they all do. That's what I would do. Because you're spread from what you're getting from the insurance company to what you're paying the crew that, you're hire, that you hire out is so big. So it might cost you um, like 50 bucks or whatever to do like a square. And a square is 100 square feet of a roof. It might cost you just for simple math, it might cost you like a hundred dollars, but you're charging like a thousand or like $1,200 for that like square. So because of that roofing companies are like really profitable. And this one is just a, I believe it is just a residential shingle roofing company. So that's like the most basic kind of roofing company. And that's the most lowest profit margin. So what I would do if I own this uh, company is I would keep doing the shingle regular stuff. And then I would also start doing like metal um, roofing. I would do, I would get into like commercial because that's just going to expand what you can do. Um, so I'll just read you the teaser here. This is a successful, profitable and busy roofing company in Southern Missouri they pride themselves on excellent customer service, and they get most of their <clears throat> business through referrals. That's really good if it's true. They only do sh uh, shingle roofs and have uh, quick access to more crews to scale the business. They ex they uh, that's not right grammar. They have excellent market share. So yeah, if you can get your hands on more crews, you can do way more. Because a, a good crew can like tear a roof off and put it back in one day. Or uh, if they have to redeck it, they can do it in like a day and a half. It's not a problem. Uh, you could also like uh, get into like hiring painters, all kinds of different stuff. Siding. It, it, you could expand into all different places with this business. The other good thing is they only have two full-time employees and one part-time employee. And this business is ran out of a home. It's a home-based business. So you don't even have to have a commercial uh, building. They don't have one now, so why would you have one? The competition, it says there's several other uh, roofing companies in the area, but this one is more has more than enough work to go around. The company is always busy and scheduled out for a few months at a time. Other companies aren't uh, seen as a, a real threat due to poor customer service and quality. So then in Southern Missouri, I know I... I I think I, did I inquire on this? It sounds really familiar, unless I already read this one. But I either inquired on this one or another one. I, I saw the town it was in, and it was like fairly like rural, which is a double-edged sword. Like you have to drive a lot, but you don't have as much um, competition. So you're going to have like way less competition uh, in like Springfield, Missouri, or something like that than you would have in Kansas City, obviously. The other good thing is like because there's fewer people, you have fewer competition. If you have crews, they're going to be more um, loyal to you because you're going to be able to give them um, good, good steady amounts of work. <clears throat> so uh, the owner will stay on for 24 weeks, which is good. You could probably get them to stay on longer. You're going to want to know how everything works, but I think that's really good. 
And they are selling it, the owner's selling it because he's retiring. So that's like the best thing. That's the best uh, reason for someone to be retiring. And this, this is good because it's like, people are, are going to know that he's like retiring. It makes sense that you're like coming in. Another good thing is lots of hail, lots of storms in Missouri. Um, and it's like warm enough that you're going to have like a big, it, you're going to be able to put roofs on uh, more for a longer period of time, like seasonally. It has to be warm enough to put a roof on. You can't put a roof on when it's freezing out because the shingles won't stick as well. They won't bond. You'll have problems. So obviously your season for putting on a roof is a lot longer in Missouri than it is, let's say, in Nebraska or South Dakota, North Dakota, something like that. So it's a great place um, to have that done. It's a, it's a great place to have a roofing company because you still need like uh, – you're still going to have like a regular roofs. You're not going to get all metal roofs like you would like in Texas, Central Texas or Southern Texas. So it's like a good little window. The other thing is it's really cheap to live in Missouri. It's really cheap to run a business in Missouri. So those are good things too. So that's the idea, that's the business for sale of the week. I know I I like construction related businesses, um, and I know the most about those. So those tend to be the ones that I'm like, hey, check this out. But I think this is a good one. Even if you like don't know a ton about roofing, it's still good because like I said, a roofing business is just a sales and negotiating and scheduling business. So you don't need to know a ton, especially if they have good crews. All right, I'm moving on. So the next one is the three critiques, three critiques of the app. So the first one is I know a guy wants to start a radon mitigation business. And I said, yeah, that's easy. If you can get enough work to make it worth your time. So those of you, if you don't know what a radon mitigation business is, so radon is a, a, a an odorless gas. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You don't know it's there. But it, it comes up through the ground. And it has, I think, alpha particles in in it. And, and those are like basically like kind of like, it's basically like radiation. So these alpha particles, if they're the, the the degree of radon is like high enough, they can damage your body. They can damage the um, tissue in your lungs and give you lung cancer, um, supposedly. So a radon mitigation <clears throat> company, what they do is they just find a way to collect and disperse the radon from inside your house to outside to where it's safe, to where it can be watered down by regular um, air outside. So basically what you do is you, um, drill a hole into the slab of the basement floor and create a suction point with a little fan. The fan draws the gas out from underneath of the concrete slab in your house, pulls it up a chimney or like a plastic pipe on the outside of your house usually, and releases it into the air X amount of feet away from where anyone would be. So then it floats out in the atmosphere and it's safe. And putting a radon system in is incredibly easy because all you do is you drill a hole into the concrete floor. You put a piece of basically like a piece of PVC, glue it on the floor. So it creates a, so it's uh, airtight. 
you put a little fan on it and then you run the PVC pipe to the outside of the house. It's very simple, very straightforward. Any construction knowledge, you can figure out how to do it without a problem. <clears throat> you do have to have a license. You also, I believe, have to have a radon certification. Um, I believe you have to have a certification to get the correct equipment to put in the PVC pipe, the correct motor and everything like that. But if you can get enough business, and enough business would be, you would have to do bare minimum, like to make a full-time living, <clears throat> you'd have to do one, put in one radon system a day, ideally two. So mostly you're going to be like out asking for business and and hoping to get enough business. <clears throat> so if you can get enough business, I would say like, yes, I would like, this is something that I would definitely start part-time and getting my name out there um, and try to like build it up. And then if you have so much that you don't, that you can't do it part-time anymore, you can move to full-time. Um, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of companies out there that do business, that do like put in radon systems full-time. Uh, there's a lot of people who, um, do different tr trades that also do radon systems. There's basement waterproofing companies that do radon systems. So there's a lot of competition, but if you could get your foot in the door and make it work, I'd say like go for it because it is pretty simple. Um, the next one is somebody I, I know wants to become a doctor. And, it, and they're like, well, do you think this is like good? Can I like make money at doing that? So, sorry, I have like kind of a scratchy throat. I'm in the basement. It's probably right on. <laughs> Actually, it's probably mold down here. They say, though, breathing in lots of dirty, moldy air like strengthens your lungs and you're less likely to die of COVID-19. I'm just kidding. That's a total lie. Um, so somebody I, w I know is like wants to become a doctor and is like, could I make a lot of money doing that? You know, is that like a profitable thing to do? What are your thoughts? And my number one thought is don't become a doctor to make money. And the reason I say that is, in my personal opinion, it's so difficult. Like you have to go through so many hoops to become a doctor with no guarantee of making lots of money. And because you have to like go through so much, so many hoops and go through like so many barriers, I think that it's like really important that you have like a burning desire to become a doctor for like the right reasons. And those reasons can't be money because being a doctor is more than a, just a business. It's more than just a job. It's going to like be who you are. So it's kind of like being a cop. Like you're a cop. You're, if you're a cop, you're always a cop. Basically that's like, you're not just on the clock. If you're a doctor or a cop, that's like your identity. That's who you are. That's who you're going to be. And like I said, there's no guarantee that you're going to make lots of money. Like I think a regular physician makes about $125,000 to $160,000 a year. I think that's like a family practice physician, I believe. $120,000 a year for everything that you have to go through to become a doctor, in my opinion, is not worth it. Because you have to go to college, then you have to go to medical school, and then you have to like... Uh, then you have to go to residency. So by that time, like you're in your early thirties or around your early thirties. And that's if you like, don't go on and like get a specialty. 
and you're going to be making $120,000 a year, $120,000 a year isn't really that much money. You know, the guy that owns the roofing company that I just talked about that's selling it makes a hell of a lot more than $120,000. And he wasn't in school racking up hundreds of thousand dollars in debt to learn how to run a roofing company. He was probably used to put on roofs, you know. Uh, or he had another kind of construction company or his dad had it or something like that. And it obviously takes a lot less time to learn how to be a roofer than it does to be a doctor. The other thing is doctors have so much liability and we're so litigious in this this country that they have to have all these different kinds of like insurance policies and it's fucking ridiculous. And not only that, like a doctor is also like, you know, lots of times when you're a doctor, like you get some, you, you get somewhere and then you're like teaching other people how to be a doctor. You're kind of like managing the nurses. You're kind of managing the technicians to make sure they don't screw up. So for $120,000, you have like a lot of responsibility. Your phone rings off the hook all the time. You're always on call. Even if you're not on call, people are still going to call you and say, what's the deal with this? What's the deal with that? So it's just a whole lifestyle. So you have to really want to do it. $120,000, $150,000 a year to be uh, just a family practice physician, that's not worth the money to me. Now, I know a guy locally, he's a dermatologist. Some of the guys that I know helped build his like brand new house. They were subcontractors on his brand new house, which is in a, a new area of like, of acreages. Um, it's called the reserve. And the house was over the fucking top. The pool was a million dollars. Like I said, the guy's a dermatologist. He makes $30,000 a day. That's the rumor, and I believe it. So he's a dermatologist. He produces, uh, uh, he has like his own private label of, of, I guess, medicines, of dermatological compounds. He does elective surgeries. He has other doctors that work at his practice that do elective surgeries. He has other doctors that work at his pra practice that do um, like laser eye surgery, all this stuff. He ships his medications all over the, the country, sells them at other places throughout the country, sells them online, all this stuff. Totally crazy. But the amount of people that are going to have good enough grades, know the right people, and be able to get into the specialty of becoming a dermatologist, it's so hard. That's like saying you should go play uh, you should go play high school baseball because you might get into the MLB and be like one of the top five people. Like being a dermatologist is so hard to beat like nowadays. Um, and the other thing with medicine is it's not entrepreneurial at all. It's hard to like start a private practice. It's almost nearly it's nearly impossible because of all the red tape. Um, so there's just all these barriers. There's all these, this all this pressure. There's all this like social pressure for us to like go in to, to be like socialized when it comes to medicine. I personally, unless you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a physician, if you want to get into it just to help people, just to treat the poor, if you're not looking to like make money and get rich, 
I think it's a great profession. I think it's a noble profession, but don't go into it to make money because most doctors, even most surgeons, in my opinion, they don't make enough money for all the stuff that they have to deal with. So the next one, the next idea is starting a gym, starting a gym. Now, a year ago, I would have said, go ahead. I love the idea. I like working out. I like going to the gym. I haven't worked out for quite a while um, because of the COVID-19 thing, because I um, just had a son. It's hard to get to the gym. And the other thing is like, there's no real gyms left. They're all uh, fitness centers. So the gym I used to go to, well, I used to go to a Gold's Gym a long time ago and I like loved it. Um, it was really awesome. It was really cool. Great um, energy in there. There was no personal trainers in there. There was none of that kind of crap. There was no people in there like learning mobility because they were so morbidly obese that they had to like be worked out by somebody else. So it was a great energy in there. Lots of fit people. And if you went there, you were like, I better get in shape because I look like a fat pig and it's embarrassing. Well, that's not the way like gyms are now. Now gyms are safe spaces. Everyone, whatever. The other thing is uh, where, where I go, there's a TV every six inches. So it's like you're doing your last set on bench press and you like look up and it's like the view or something stupid like that. And even if you're like, I'm not going to pay attention to the crap on TV, you're subconsciously thinking, I'm not paying attention to Oprah or I'm not paying attention to the view that's stupid or I'm not paying attention to that news story. So it's just a distraction and I hate it. So but now with the COVID-19, with everyone staying at home, more people are like building like home gyms or like getting fitness equipment, doing it at their house, um, getting, we're getting like a Peloton. So I would say no way to a gym because people are still, even though very few people now are like dying of COVID-19, it's so entrenched in people to be scared to not want to like be around other people that I think a lot of gyms are going to end up going out of business and I wouldn't want to try to break into it right now wait a year until everyone forgets about all this bullshit and then start a gym because people are going to be like, after being stuck at home for a year, people are going to be dying to want to go out to a gym and socialize and see other human beings. So I would hold off on the gym for now. Um, but I think that that could be a good business. It would be a fun business, especially if you liked hanging out at the gym and working out. So starting a gym, I would say, wait, doctor, maybe, right on business, yes-ish. So anyway, that's today's ep. Hope you guys loved it. I will be back next week. I will really put my brain into overdrive to come up with an uh, original million-dollar idea. I will, I will get to work on it subconsciously. I had an idea for a physical product, but... At the time, I was like, this is, like, really good. And then I woke up, and I was like, yeah, it was in a dream. And then I woke up, and I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've, like, ever thought of. That's not a good idea. It's total crap. So um, I will try to come up with something really good, really brilliant. I know my mind can do it. I believe in myself. I know that I can do it. So I'm just going to put that out in the universe. It'll come back to me with tons of ideas. Um, share the show. Can't say that enough. Give me a review up on the uh, Apple so see you guys next week preach